Genesis, I think we'll be in mainly in three. Uh, but just a just a kind of a, a recap to get us get the wheel going. Basically, we looked at we did an introduction this morning to the whole topic of family, what we're going to be looking at. But also, the main the main purpose of what we got to this morning was God's purpose for the family. And just a short set statement: it's to glorify Him. Uh, he purposed and designed the family for His glory. And how? He created male and female in the image of God, right? Uh, as, as what we've talked about before. But He didn't just create them in the image of God, but He commanded them. He commanded them to make more image bearers, make make little ones, right? Because uh, we we know that. That image was passed down from Adam and Eve to their children. Um, and that was to go out and not just have two image bearers giving glory to God, but to fill the whole earth with image bearers giving glory to God. Um, and it begins with creation of the family and of marriage. Um, the purpose of your marriage, and again, I said I'll interchange those sometimes. But for your marriage, whether you've been married for one year or 60 years, is to glorify God. Uh, you know, and that we, we kind of, I'm sure we'll discuss this a little bit next week uh, in a roundabout way. We kind of have uh, adopted a, a way of talking about marriage that's, well, it's not probably, it's very... Um, ugly towards God's design like oh you know my old ball and chain you know that stuff it's funny and we joke about it but it literally flies in the face of God's design for marriage and his purpose for marriage right and 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 it's actually the very opposite of how we men should talk about our wives you know and not in that joking way we're going to see next week that we uh, that that women are actually the glory of men. Now, take that home and think about that for a little bit, right? And it's we treat them as if, not as if, but that they are our glory, not a ball and chain, right? And and it goes both it goes both ways. We've tend to create, and sitcom TV has created marriage a laughing joke, right? Uh, of what of what should be. A, a God, a, a God glorifying institution. Um, so, I won't reiterate all this. Um, so, how do we glorify God? I just sort of mentioned that by imitating God, uh, imitating God when you're being a father, when you're being a mother, when you're being a husband, when you're being a wife. Now, I was thinking about this. As far as this imitation for the sake of glorifying the person you're imitating, it's real easy in all the world today to want to imitate a star basketball player or a, a, a star singer, right? Someone who is famous for whatever they do or an artist, a dancer or whatever. And when you want to imitate them, what does that person do? 
Practice, practice, practice. I mean, they put all their time, all their blood and sweat and tears into wanting to be like a Michael Jordan or um, I don't, Celine Dion. I don't know. Uh, and, and, and what does that do? That actually glorifies when people are trying to be like an athlete or a singer. They're actually glorifying, exalting that person. And if you've ever, if anyone has ever, even if it was a stranger, a strange little kid and they liked your shirt, whatever, and someone's like, I want to be like you one day, that, that, like, that resonates. And you're like, oh, okay, right? It, it, and so the reality is when people imitate, desire to imitate someone else, they are glorifying that person. And that's literally what we're called to do in Ephesians 5.1. It says, be imitators of God. I'm going to say that again. Be imitators of God. Our first response is, uh, can't do that. And that's okay. That should be our first response. Because we can't imitate God apart from the indwelling Holy Spirit who is God, right? You see that? God calls you to imitate Him and so who does He give you to help do that, to enable you to do that? Himself. Himself. Um, So I ended with the question, and I think I zoomed through it pretty fast. And it was, is the purpose of your family, so for you to contemplate and think through, is the purpose of your family, your home, whatever your family looks like, whether it's married with kids, married, engaged, uh, empty nesters, grandkids, whatever your situation is, does your family is the purpose of your family and home to exalt God? To magnify his gloriousness to the world around you. That's how we should be. When we wake up in the morning, and I know for uh, and whoever's had kids, that first interaction with that first kid that comes to you, and you better be ready. You better be ready. And that's why I love the quote from Robert Murray McShane. I don't know it to a T, but... His desire was to seek the face of God before he saw the face of a person. Because he knew he had a better chance of acting like Christ if he sought Christ before he saw somebody. Now, as a parent, that might be a good attempt. You know, That might be a good uh, habit to get into. Because if you wake up on the wrong side of the bed and you haven't had your coffee and little Jimmy comes in or whatever the case may be, right? it's going to be hard to imitate God. It's going to be hard to glorify Him in how we parent. Uh, so I would say prioritize your, your life, your day, um, and begin with seeking the face of Christ. Uh, and, and I didn't say this, and it was, it was on my outline. And so I, I, want, to get, I want to put this kind of in your, in your thoughts. Understand that your family, your marriage, how you parent expresses what you think about God whether you want it to or not how you do family says how you feel about the creator of your universe so again it's not if you're doing it to glorify God or if you're doing it the right it's you're doing it 
you're speaking on God's behalf, especially as a professing Christian, but are people looking and saying, ah, I see that. I see the characteristics of Christ in that marriage. Or I see, uh, I see a, a husband who speaks down to his wife. That's not, that's not Christ in the church, which we'll get to at the end of this. So understand that. You are expressing to the world around you what you think about God and how you parent family and do marriage. Okay, so we talked, we, we just kind of did the general purpose of God's purpose for the family. But here's the question we have to ask. But what about after the fall? Right? What happened after Adam and Eve's sin? What happened to God's purpose with the family? So with that, go. let's go to Genesis 3. Um, let's just read it. 3, 1 through 13. I know we're very familiar with it, but it just will help us if we get it out there. Genesis 3. We'll start at 1 and we'll just we'll just go through um, 13 for now. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you, eaten of the, uh, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So let's just stop there. Now, what I want to take note of is in one, the first thing is in verse 9. Look at verse 9, and I want you to tell me who does God call for in verse 9. Read it and then just shout it out. Called to the man. Who? Called the man. He called him out. All right. Um, verse 10. Who does God question? Go ahead and look at it. The man. 
I'm trying to look at something real quick. No. Okay. Um, so, who was the first, who was deceived? Eve, right? The woman. Um, but when God came to, to put responsibility on the situation, who did he hold responsible? The man. The man. So, it, it, just to make sure that we're we're not sure that oh maybe God's not saying I told you Adam not to eat because He gave Adam the command not to eat before Eve was even created, right? right? On on this uh, in the account of chapter two, God created Adam. He put him over the garden and He told him not to eat of the uh, the fruit of the tree, and then. And then he made him a helper fit for him. So he gave Adam the command. Adam was then, we would assume, he told his wife, he told Eve, she knew, right? And so when God comes, he does not come to Eve and, and, and put guilt on her. While he does eventually put guilt on her because she sinned, he went to the head and said, hey, what's going on? He didn't say he didn't say, "Hey Eve, where are you?" He said, "Hey Adam, where are you?" That's right. Um, but in case we're not sure, and we want to say, "Well, well, maybe he was talking to the both of them in verse ten when he said, um, or no, uh, 11. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat?" If we're not sure who he's talking to, Adam's response makes it very clear that God was talking directly to Adam because the man said, the woman who, gave, who you gave me, yep. he, he then sh- tries to shift blame and responsibility. But the worst part about it is, is okay, yeah, he tries to blame Eve, but even more worse than that, who does he really try to blame? God. He says, the woman you gave me. So he was not... He was not taking responsibility. He said, God, this is your fault. This is your fault. But we know that God gave Adam a mission and a command. He did. And Adam disobeyed. Now, this is for you to be thinking about because we're going to look at this a little bit next week. Both. Eve and Adam were guilty of sin, both of them. But Adam was responsible for the whole outcome. All right. Now we, we Adam was responsible to God because of the position that God put him in as head. And when I say head, for now we'll talk more about this next week. Just think of it as the position of leadership. I don't necessarily like that when we're thinking about it this way, but that that's an okay statement for now. Position of leadership. Uh, you've heard, okay, so I'm not, I was in the Marine Corps uh, as the Department of the Navy. You know, I hold our jokes. We get it. Um, uh, but if you're on a naval ship and some, some, shipman, whatever you call them, does something bad and runs the the ship and wrecks the ship, who gets held responsible? The captain. The captain. Now, who did did it? Who's guilty? 
that midshipman or whatever, but the captain's going to get fired. He's going to be held responsible for the accident. So this just as food for thought. We'll talk more about uh, we'll talk more about that next week. Uh, but responsibility falls to uh, the one with authority, the one in leadership. And in this case, this was Adam. Uh, and we'll see some other verses in the New Testament next week that help us understand uh, why Adam is in the position of uh, head. Okay, so from that, originally, originally Adam and Eve were going to come together. Well, no kids in here today, okay. Or Adam and Eve were going to come together. They were going to produce image bearers, right? And the the default or the, the original output from their marriage was going to be pure image bearers, right? Just like they were. But after the fall, the output changes. And when I say output, I mean the child, right? It changes. So now after the fall... The default output of the children of a family are not image bearers in the purest sense. They're still bearing the image of God, but they are bearing a marred image of God. They're, Mike said it, they're sinners. The default output now of a family from the point of the fall, including Adam and Eve, is a sinner condemned to death. That's the new default output of fa- of a family. Now that's not that's not very encouraging. We're trying to talk about how great you know the good purpose, the great purpose of 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 the family and marriage, and we're saying okay, when we marry and we have kids, we're making little sinners. That's true. If you've ever raised kids, you know that's true. But but all joking aside, if you well for the sake of time, you go and look at Romans five later this week, and you see that sin followed Adam to all men, and what followed sin, death to all men, and it all came from Adam. And you also look in Romans three, I think it's twenty one. It says all have sinned, and what's the next statement? Fallen short of the glory of God. What were they created for? To glorify God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, how did this flesh out in Adam and Eve's relationship? Turn to chapter 4. First verse. Now, Adam and Eve, or Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. The first output, the first image bearer to come from Adam and Eve after the fall was a murderer. And you say, well, what about Abel, right? Because that's the next verse. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, I had to really think about this. Because if it's true that the output, the children of fallen a fallen marriage, a fallen man and a fallen woman are sinners condemned to death, then how do we get Abel, uh, because we know that Abel had faith. Well, you look at Hebrews 11, and it says that Abel gave his sacrifice to God by faith, right? So, what does this does this kind of wreck our thoughts that all who come from a sinful marriage are sinners bound for death? 
I was thinking about it, and all we see here is an expression of the grace of God. Nobody should ever expect to have a kid who's going to be a believer. It's not, I'm a Christian, I married a Christian, we're going to have babies, oh, they're going to be Abel's. They may be Cain's. And I'll tell you, they all start like Cain. All Ephesians 2 says, like all mankind under as children of wrath. Right? And so, if, well, not if, but when Abel comes forth, especially, I mean, they, Adam and Eve didn't, they don't know yet, but, and they look back and they see Cain, and then they see that they had Abel, they can say, Glory be to God that He gave us Abel. That He gave him faith. That He gave us a believing son. And so, as you raise a family, your kids or your grandkids, when God saves one of them, when God grants them faith, and they repent of their sins, it's an, it is going against the grain of the output of the fallen marriage of a fallen man and a fallen woman. It is the grace of God. You don't deserve any angel kids. But the Lord is good and gracious. And He keeps His promises. Right? And He, he, sh- he shares His... Uh, he sheds or pours out His grace... Uh, to us, and so when we look at Cain and Abel, we see two aspects of the fall. Number one, it's condemnation, but number two, the gracious side of God. All right. Um, but So the the fallen side is the is the work of man, right? So the the sinful nature. I I mean, we could we might wind up over spiritualizing, but we could probably work through that. Um, I hadn't sat down and thought about that too much, but I think it's definitely you could look at it in the sense of God's judgment towards on one side, which is glorifying and good, and then God's grace, which is Glorifying and good. So God's glorified in the judgment He brings on Cain, but He's also glorified in the grace that He gives and shows Abel. And so you are seeing the fullness of God uh, in those two, uh, in that relationship between those two. Also, doesn't God usually sometimes give Cain's parents a curse or a judgment? Uh, So you reap what you sow. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Um, That's why there's jealousy. Yeah. And and there's always a consequence to sin. There's always a consequence to sin. I think someone brought this up one Sunday, uh, during Sunday school a while back, about generational generational curse and sin. Uh, But then again, when your sins will visit your your family members because that's the consequence of sin but that doesn't mean that God can't show his grace 
to someone in your family or your kids, right? And so again, you kind of see that worked itself out on both ways. Um, okay, so so then what after Adam and Eve? Does God be like, okay, this is a, this whole be fruitful, multiply thing isn't really working the way I'd planned? Um, does God have to come up with another game plan to fill the earth full of image bearers? No, He proceeds as planned. Okay, He proceeds as planned. Uh, look at verse. If you just read the curse, this is really odd. If you just read the curse that God gives to Satan, Eve, and Adam, you see that his plan is going to continue. Look at verse 14 in chapter 3. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, okay, between your offspring and her offspring. Where did the offspring come from? The family, right? The, the being fruitful and multiplying, right? So Eve and Adam are still under the mandate to be fruitful and multiply. But for Eve, it's going to get a little bit painful. If you look at verse 16, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And, and so th- we proceed as planned. You must obey in this cultural creation mandate, be fruitful, multiply, and fill this earth. Um, so the fruit of the woman is going to be that which brings the, uh, the serpent, Satan, down, Right? Uh, through obedience to the the fruit the fruit of the woman of the first family Adam and Eve okay. will be what brings down Satan right the offspring oh, Jesus. Right, Jesus. right 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 and that's what we're going to see as we go through that the that that the the idea of family continues for the purpose. So the, the cultural mandate, the creation mandate, was for the purpose of the glory of God. That family, this lineage is going to continue to crush the head of Satan. I don't mean to throw you off. But since we're running this timeline now, do we throw the Nephilim in this? Or no? no, we're not going there. Right. No. Because there was a plan, right? Was that, or was that not even anything scriptural? Uh, no, no, we're, we'll we'll get into Genesis six, but not in that section of Genesis six. Um, so, just to think about this idea of 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 the being fruitful and multiplying and the family continuing, we have to understand that there is a lineage from Adam and Eve all the way to Mary, right? And here here's I'm kind of getting off of. Uh, well, here, we'll, we'll, we'll look at it this way. After Adam and Eve, and we've got Cain, the offspring, who killed the faithful son, what next? Look at chapter 4, verse 25. Adam knew his wife again. What is that? That's marriage. That's family. And she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. 
and the time at that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, what happened after Seth? Genesis 6. Uh, after people began to call upon the name of the Lord, it says in Genesis 6 that the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So what did he do? He wiped them out. What did he leave? One family. Was the spiritual side of trying to interact with the lineage of Jesus being born? Was the spiritual realm trying to get into the to the body of man or no? Before the wife of the flood? Uh, I don't understand what you're asking. The Nephilim. So because God had a plan to bring Jesus to, to wipe away the sins of the world... Would it be fair to say that the Nephilim tried to get into the genealogy or not? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> I haven't thought hard enough about it yet. That uh, was like the ultimate he was plan. trying to destroy, I guess, the Nephilim. He used the Nephilim. For, that's the Nephilim came because the angels came with came right. making babies with the humans. So here, here's, I want to introduce you to a statement that a, a, a pastor I like really, <laughs> no, like really well. He says, um, the main things are the plain things, okay, and yeah. the plain things are the main things. Uh, but that, and this is, that'd be a good conversation to have. Um, but yeah. I don't I, know the thoughts of God. Right. Or what the spiritual realm, or, I mean, it's there. It's definitely, if it's, if it's there, it's definitely worth entertaining. Yeah. But in, um, I'm long-winded enough. And so in the, in the <laughs> uh, right, yeah, and we we definitely talk about that talk about that later. Um, so God wipes out creation, leaves Noah, leaves one family, and after the flood, what does He tell him? He says, "Be fruitful and multiply." He gives the exact same mandate that He gave to Adam and Eve, um, and then Noah and his family, Noah and his wife, bore a son named Shem, and then from the family, we're going to continue through this line, we get Abraham. Do you know how God gave his promise to bless the families of all the nations to Abraham? His family. Through being fruitful and multiplying. Through his marriage, which he botched up real bad, right? Yeah. And so... And this is one thing we had to—I had to think through, right? The family is good; it's designed and purposed by God. But yet, when we look at the genealogy of Jesus, we see so many people messing up the family. And what is that an outflow from? All the way back in Genesis three, the fall. And what is God doing? God is using the thing that He purposed and intended, and He, in spite of the sin and the mar that sinners bring to the family. He is still using the family to accomplish filling his um, filling his creation with the glory with his glory, which well we'll we'll almost get there. Um, but then even after Abraham, the promise goes through Isaac and Jacob. But then eventually we get to one more, David, right? And how does God give His promise to David through an offspring, through through uh, through uh, His Again, marred family. If anybody had a messed up family, it was David. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right? Um, 
But But here's what we have to say. All the while we see kings and patriarchs messing up the family, that doesn't give... That doesn't give excuse like, oh, well, God can even – we can say this. Oh, God can even use the messed up family, but that shouldn't be our excuse to be a messed up family. Right. He gives, he give, he gives, his, he gives his commands. He gives his rule. He gives his law. And if you go and read the law in, uh, in the Old Testament, what you're going to find is God is communicating the importance of the family just in the law. Uh, You kind of have to nuance it and think through it. But God's reiterating his promise that was being passed down through the family, through the lineage that comes from Adam and Eve. Do you know that there's 25 genealogies in the Bible? 25. Uh, As far as I... uh, 23 are in the Old Testament. And they've got two genealogies of Jesus in the New Testament. God taught Israel the importance of family... And so they wrote down their family. They wrote down their genealogy. Um, They understood the importance of family. And how does the New Testament even start? With a genealogy, right? Connecting, Connecting the family history of the offspring of the woman, the son of Abraham, the son of David. And that's how the genealogy starts. It starts with a son of the family. Um, so I, I, the reason why I wanted to to walk through that is to show you that we just I, we're not just doing this just to be oh family's important and so let's no, family is divinely created and purposed for the sake of God's glory and He used it from day one and He's continuing to use it. Right, so as New Testament Christians, as New Testament Christians, we're brought into this family. We're actually brought into this family spiritually, sons of Abraham. Right, we're brought into this family as sons and daughters, heirs with Christ, and now we go and carry on the spiritual family through our physical family. Right by raising, by 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 loving your wife, by having kids, raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, right? Creating tiny disciples. What are we creating? Tiny image bearers. We're going right back to the purpose of what God had intended for the family, and that is to fill the earth with His image bearers. And we read Revelation seven. Uh, earlier, right? And that was that was a picture of heaven, and that was the picture of uh, all of them around the throne. But when we get to the end of Revelation, what do we see? We see the earth full of perfect image bearers. At the end of the story, the earth is full. Of the perfect image bearers. Because the church will be resurrected. When we see Jesus, we will be like him. The perfect image of the Father, right? And God would have accomplished his task. It did. To fill the earth. And that's 
that's what uh, that's what we look forward to. Uh, so just thinking as we move forward into next week, as we're going to get more detailed into marriage and men, husbands and wives, um, as we carry on the purpose of the family to glorify God and to and to uh, to spread His glory over all of His creation, our marriages are a picture, an expression of Christ's relationship to the church. And I don't and. and Ephesians 5. We're going to read Ephesians 5 to close. Exactly. We're going to read Ephesians 5 to close to prepare us for next week. And also as you get into Ephesians 6, we see that it's not just about the marriage, but it's also about raising the children to then and continue uh, raising little disciples of Jesus. So let's just go ahead and read um, Ephesians 5 into Ephesians 6 as we transition for next week and start thinking about marriage and the husband and the wife. Ephesians 5, uh, we'll start in 22, and then we'll read through chapter 6, verse 4. I I would highly recommend spending a lot of time just rereading this section next week, throughout the week. Wives, submit to your own husbands as as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So there's some language we've been using for Adam and Eve. Uh, uh, he's the head of the church, his body, as is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, and this is a direct quote of Genesis, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. End of quote. Paul uh, then starts again, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so as we close, I want you men to think about your duty, your privilege, your calling to love your wife. And now notice, ladies, it doesn't tell you for you to love your husband. It says to respect your husband. Now those are two totally different things. So just think about that this week as we move forward. Why why would God why would God through Paul tell a man to love his wife and then tell a wife to respect her husband? Think about that this week. Get personal with it. Like why would I want my you know, why would why would I need to tell my husband or respect my you know, think through that. And then we'll um, we'll see if we can work it out a little bit next week.
Let's pray. Father, we come before you in all of your wisdom and power. God, in need of your mercy to open the eyes of our hearts. God, not that we might be full of knowledge, that we might be full of knowledge that leads us to live a life pleasing to you. God, that you would, by the indwelling of your spirit, help us in the command of being imitators of you. To walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us. All for the sake of your exaltation. That your gloriousness, your beauty and majesty might go forth from our lives. For the sake of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, is there any, anybody have any prayer requests? I just, I want to I highly recommend praying about this topic, about your family. I know you pray for your family uh, regularly in your marriage. But pray for other people's. Other members of the church, pray, pray for, pray for them. Uh, not that you know that they have any issues, but uh, lift up the parents, lift up uh, the names of the grandkids, lift up, uh, the, you know, the spouses. Uh, that the Lord would be glorified in our families. So please, please do that this week. Um, even prayer for our families and our marriages. I don't know why I'm using a. I have a yes, ma'am.